What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Pure Potential Podcast, the second episode of this new Dynasty show that I'm running here. I've got a great guest today. You've seen him before if you follow the Factory Tour. His name is Mike. You probably know him as Dynasty Zoltan on Twitter and now DynastyZoltan.com. Mike, how are you doing today? Hey, doing well. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me uh, on the show. I was going to say back on the show, but uh, in its new format. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Same deal. We're just going to talk about some dynasty topics. It's kind of whatever's relevant, whatever's on my mind. This is as much a, a learning experience for me today, I think, as it'll be for the listeners, because we're going to de- get really into the weeds about dynasty portfolio management. Um, you play in more dynasty leagues than anybody I know. And, you know, I play in a, a what I'd say is a a healthy number of leagues. And by that, I mean an unhealthy number of leagues. I was about to say healthy according 20, to who. <laughs> right. Around 20 leagues. And, um, you know, I've started to try to adopt kind of a, a portfolio approach, which in my mind is different than just managing a few dynasty teams. And so that's something we'll get into. Love to kind of get your dynasty journey in here about how you handle running so many teams. But before we jump into that, um, I do have a quick announcement for the listeners. A lot of you already know this because you're already in this Discord, but um, I am now an analyst in the Bulletproof Discord. So if you happen to follow DFB Encounter on Twitter, uh, he runs a great Discord for his Patreon, Bulletproof Fantasy Football. And as far as I'm concerned, it's really the best place to to go for kind of high-level um, discussion, not just with the analysts in there, but with the the dynasty players in that discord. Um, I've been a member of it for a while. I'm now a contributor and it's something you should definitely check out. If you do play in a lot of leagues, you're interested in discussing strategy and stuff like that. You can become a member through uh, Drew's Patreon and you can come chat with me and a lot of other cool analysts, Jacob Sanderson, um, Todd Halverson of the dynasty market watch podcast is now in there as well. So just want to throw that out there. It's a good time. Let's jump into the show. We're going to talk about the wild card weekend. Sorry, super wild card weekend, <laughs> as it is now known. It was, I mean, pretty super, if I'm being honest, up until the final game. Uh, as an Eagles fan, that one wasn't very fun. Yeah. But we'll, we'll talk about that one last. The first thing I really want to talk about here, there was obviously a lot of surprising things that happened, a lot of exciting individual performances. But I think the one that kind of stands out above the rest is Jordan Love uh, becoming the the quarterback of the first seven seed to ever win a playoff game Um, definitely was not expected. Dallas has been pretty much unbeatable at home this year. So it got me thinking about some of my past Jordan love takes. And if I remember correctly, you were, you were pretty much, you know, on the same wavelength with me, not really into Jordan love at his cost over the off season. So I thought we could take this time to maybe um, apologize to Jordan and, and maybe think about where we went wrong. So I'm going to hand it over to you. What do you th- what did you think about Jordan Love's performance and how did we get here, you know, from where we were a few months ago? Yeah, I mean Jordan Love's had, I mean obviously an interesting path. I think it's tough when looking back cuz you don't want to change your whole, you know, process based on one player, especially based on let's be honest, an outlier. Jordan Love was one of the worst college quarterbacks statistically to get drafted at all, not to mention be drafted in the first round. I I forget the exact stat, but I believe he had led the league in interceptions his final year, uh, regressed massively. But 
ultimately, I think there's a few lessons to be learned. First of all, we're getting a decent sample size of quarterbacks that sit initially and actually end up doing well. It's not a large enough sample size for me as a stats guy to make any actual like broad sweeping statements about it. But there is something to be said that perhaps we shouldn't have thought of Jordan Love as a rookie where rookie quarterbacks, CJ Stroud aside, almost never produce because Jordan Love had been sitting around for three years, you know, learning how to play football. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's an interesting analysis though, because the beginning of the season, he was not playing well at all. And he was scoring fantasy points because of yeah. this absurd touchdown rate. And I think we talked about this early in the season, but Jordan Love had six touchdowns on 29 completions in his first two games. That was obviously never going to continue. So for me, I was like, this is a clear sell. He's not playing very well. He's just getting lucky on these touchdowns. If you can get a solid first, take it. Now Jordan Love is probably worth three firsts and is pretty much without a doubt a top 24 uh, startup pick. Uh, in the startup I just did, he went outside of that range, but that was, you know, two, a week and a half ago. I don't think that would happen again. And honestly, he's just been incredible over the second half of the season. So since week nine, uh, he's second in PFF grade. Uh, he is second in big time throws. He is third in terms of turnover worthy play rate, which is pretty damn solid. He's kind of doing it all. The, the biggest thing that jumped out to me though, from a fantasy perspective, and I'm curious your thoughts on this is that he is not running at all anymore. So to begin the season, he actually ran quite a bit. He had at least two scrambles in seven of his first nine games. And he had, and he averaged over two scrambles a game, obviously over that time in the last nine weeks, he only has four scrambles total. So from a fantasy perspective, that's not great. Uh, So what we know is he's a, he's a, he's a stud. He's going to be a starter for the next seven to eight years, but we have to start comparing him to guys like Anthony Richardson and Kyler Murray. And I still don't see the fantasy upside necessarily, but then again, he's averaging, you know, 280 yards a game with weapons who no one had heard of before the season. So maybe he's just, you know, CJ Stroud. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a great analysis there. Um, Backing up for, for a second to, some of the earlier things that you said, you know, in terms of how well he's played and and how we we kind of doubled down on our bad take early in the season, like you said. Yeah. Um, but it was it didn't look like a bad take because he just he was struggling. Um, and obviously, in hindsight, it's really easy to say, look, he had all these weapons that were young, inexperienced. They clearly kind of figured stuff out throughout the season. Jaden Reed, Tucker Craft making contributions. Um, it's it's easy to see it as a story now being in the kind of the third act to say, yeah, well, they, you know, they were inexperienced. They didn't have any chemistry. They hadn't ever played. A lot of them are rookies. And over the course of the season, they were able to kind of put it all together. Now it seems obvious, but it just wasn't at the time. And like you said, you don't want to change your process based on one player. I, I feel like this is a situation where I'm going to miss on a player like this. It probably yeah. again in the future. Um, like you, you talked about his stats, there's, there was really nothing other than film analysis that could indicate that Jordan Love was going to succeed. And even in the film community, there wasn't like an agreed upon take. It's not like everybody that watches film was like, Jordan Love is amazing. And everybody that looks at stats was saying he was bad. It was like certain film analysts were pointing out things in his game about how he has potential. But it, it wasn't very clear uh, that he was going to succeed. And there was just a lot of, I still believe this, that there was a lot of risk yeah. in the sense that if he didn't turn it around in the second half, 
he was going to plummet in value. I mean, he was going to go near zero. So obviously uh, we're both wrong in hindsight, but I do think there was some, some sense behind the analysis. And I didn't see this ceiling, honestly, I didn't see the ceiling of production as really being possible. I don't know how sustainable it is. Like you said, he's not rushing. Um, he's, he's been very efficient. I mean, look at that Dallas game, the yeah. best EPA per play in any playoff game in history. You know, he only completed like 17 passes or something. And they scored 40 points. So th there is some potential regression that could hit. And if he's not rushing, then you basically need him to be one of those best passers in the NFL to justify that high end cost. If he's going to be in that burrow conversation, Herbert conversation. Um, and, and I think there's an argument for it because like, just, just look at his growth throughout the season. Like I mentioned, you know, it, it's, it's kind of an arbitrary split, but for a guy who just is starting his first season, I don't think it is. So like first eight games, he was under 60% completion percentage six times. He had, he's, hasn't been, he's only been under that once in the last 11 games. He's, he's just been consistent and he's been good. He only has one game since week nine with the yards per attempt below seven, which mm -hmm. is basically the league average. So he, he's just, it's been consistent. And to me, I, I like what you said about like the upside wasn't necessarily projectable because it really wasn't. There was nothing like he had, he had athletic upside and we know he has a big arm. So from that perspective, it might've been, but you couldn't have expected the Packers to throw this much. I, I think if I'm looking back, I don't ever want to be under invested on any young starting quarterback, just sorry, any cheap young starting quarterback, because sure. It's not like he cost what Bryce Young cost at the beginning of the season or even what CJ yeah. Stroud cost, right? Like he was so cheap. He was going in the seventh round of startups. It's just worth taking that risk, even if you think you might be wrong, because the payoff is is massive because there's only there's only a select group of players, and for the most part, it's young quarterbacks and young wide receivers who can mm -hmm. ever crack the top 18 or so of dynasty rankings, which is, you know, really where you're two and three xing your value so i it, it's a, it's a good player to take a shot on yeah um i mean i i do agree with that but also to play devil's advocate if we think about the the larger market of young starting quarterbacks i know kenny pickett cheap. and mac if jones do, and desmond ritter i know right if you fill up it's like if you do over invest in those players on the whole are you going to come out ahead I, and, and it's possible you do because if you get love as an eighth round startup pick and he becomes a second round startup pick that can make up for a lot of you know mac jones desmond ritter sam howell guys that plummet because it's it's not a it's not an even distribution. The jump from eighth to second round is a lot more value than if you go from eighth to nothing, right? So I totally. do think I do think you can take a lot of those shots and they can pay off. Um, it, it's all about it's, it's all like about it, timing, right? Yeah. Like it's like Matt Jones after his rookie year was worth a third round startup pick. Like yeah. you you've already gotten your value increase. You just needed to be smart enough to sell at that time. Right. Kenny Pickett, same deal. Going into this season, he was more valuable than he was going into his rookie year. Sam Howell was leading the league in passing yards after weekend. You could have <laughs> got a first round pick for him. So it's it's all about timing, which is which is tough, right? Like I thought I was smart selling Jordan Love in week seven and getting a random 2025 first. Now I look like an idiot. So these right. things happen, but 
yeah typically there is a window it can just be hard to find and then you have guys like desmond ritter where there is never a window yeah quick quick question uh bigger collapse sam howell's dynasty value or the philadelphia eagles 2023 season Uh, it's gotta (laughs) be the eagles man like howell's dynasty value was never that high the eagles were coming off a super bowl appearance they were 10 and 1 the thing is is that and, and you know this as a smart eagles fan like This team wasn't that good. Even when they were winning, they weren't playing high levels of competition. They were barely winning. I mean, even from week one, the Pats Eagles game, like the Pats almost won that game. I I just, I thought that the Eagles were always a bit of a paper tiger and I don't know what happened to make them completely fall apart. Like I, I mean, I I assume that they're going to find a new head coach and I don't, AJ Brown seems real pissed off, but yeah, what a collapse paper tiger. I like that phrase. Um, no, I mean, I never thought we were like a top two, three team in the NFL. I will say I, I could not have foreseen this. Like when we were 10 and yeah. one, I was like, we've gotten lucky in some games. I did not foresee getting blown out by Baker Mayfield in the playoffs like that. That We'll just jump over to that game before we do. I You did ask me a question about Jordan Love scrambling and I didn't answer it. Um, honestly, my initial thought is the scrambles were more the result of being like out of the scheme. Um, yeah, he was trying I to figured. make things happen and the weapons were not getting open or they, he didn't know where they were supposed to be. And so as he got more comfortable in the offense, it just wasn't necessary. That's, that's my take on it. And so my expectation is he's, he's just not a guy who's looking to run. Um, and so he's, he's not going to really add that to his game. And if he is, it probably means that the other, the rest of the game's not going as well. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I mean, there was, yeah, there, it, it probably was just, he didn't know the playbook or wasn't comfortable enough with his progressions to get to a third progression. So his third yeah. progression was to take off and run. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm happy to rant about the Eagles for a second because yeah, I, I mean, my wife doesn't really care. I mean, she's <laughs> like, she feels bad that the Eagles lost, but she doesn't, she doesn't know what a blitz is or anything. So I, yeah, I just don't understand the game plan last night. I don't know how much of the game you, you watched live, but I'm not even like an X's and O's guys. And I could tell that the route concepts were just nonsense. Like they were running four verticals on every play. I don't, there was nobody in the middle of the field the, they were blitzing us on every third down and there was nobody to pick up the blitz. Oh, and there was, Oh, no- oh you don't think running four verticals off empty when you've been <laughs> blitzed on 75% of your dropbacks makes sense. I, I was legitimately like I was yelling at the TV and I don't yeah. do that. Like I'm not, I don't, I'm not that kind of person, but I was just so perplexed by the game plan. It, it, it was like I've never seen a team so underprepared for a game. And then the defense, like the tackling, I mean, this isn't a show about defense, but like the tackling was ridiculous. It's like they threw the game on purpose, like yeah. to get the coach fired. I don't like I literally don't have any other explanation. <laughs> yeah, I I Jalen Hurts, I believe, set the record this season for the fewest number of completions past the line of scrimmage between the hashes so he just wasn't throwing over the middle of the field i mean like dallas goddard what what where did he go like you'd think with Devonte smith out obviously he got hurt but yeah. I, the offense just never looked the same it's t- it was a tough matchup because the bucks do have a great run defense i'm excited to see what they can do next week in another you know big running game matchup but yeah the eagles just lost their mojo completely and the defense was just a joke yeah, it was it was hard to watch. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, Jalen Hurts did not look like he wanted to be playing in the game. No. Um, his body language was rough, but I don't really think that he's the problem in the offense. Like, I don't think he's a top tier quarterback. Like, I think maybe things last year were maybe a little overstated with him, but I, he's not in a spot where, like, with Tua, 
you know, he also struggled in the playoffs. I, I kind of feel like we saw some limitations in his game. I'm not so sure that he's the answer. With Hurts, to me, he does not seem like the place that this team needs to start addressing problems. And I think it I think it's very much related to the scheme. Like I think that's really the the main issue there. So hopefully they can get kind of a new offensive play caller. I'd personally like to see Sirianni fired. Yeah. Um and just a whole new offensive system because I think there are some systemic issues here that maybe were masked by just running really pure last year and losing Shane Steichen has like elevated some of those problems. So I, I personally just like a fresh start, but I think Hertz does have it. Like, I think he can, I mean, I think he can lead a very successful offense again. Um, it just needs to be different than this one. Yeah, and I mean, it It does seem like Steichen was kind of the mastermind behind a lot of what was going on. And w- w- that's what, I, like coaching hires now, I, I saw something that uh, the longest tenured offensive coordinator has only been an offensive coordinator for five seasons. Like they just don't last anymore because either you're not good enough and you get fired or yeah. you're too good and you get hired to be a head coach. So like if, if I had a team with a head coach opening, I would exclusively look at uh, – at offensive play callers, because if not, if you hire a defensive guy, you're just going to have a rotating cast of offensive coordinators if they go well, right? Like you look at yeah. what's happening in Houston, CJ Stroud's about to lose his offensive coordinator. And then if the guy who comes in next year does well again, he's going to lose him again. It can just be that like rotating carousel. Yeah. So you want that offensive coordinator to be the head coach. Right. You want Shannon, you, you want yeah. McVay, you want McDaniel. Like it's, yeah. It, it's it even like you look at the Ravens and obviously they've got a good situation now, but John Harbaugh had a lot of trouble finding the right offensive coordinator for a while. Mm. And I assume, I mean, actually, I don't know if Munkin's going to get hired as a head coach. I, I don't know if he's really cut out for that, but you know, another, another good season and maybe he would be right. Yeah, no, that is, I mean, that really is the struggle right now. It's like, that's just the current meta in the league. It's like whoever the best offense is, that coordinator gets hired. And so there's like a real lack of continuity. As far as I'm concerned, you know, if I was running the Eagles, I, there would be two candidates and they're Ben Johnson and, and Bobby Slowick uh, on the Texans. If that's how you say his name, Th- those two offensive minds are the guys that I would want running my team. Um, and it doesn't always work out. Like sometimes those guys just, they don't know how to run the team, you know, on a high level, but it seems to work out a lot more with the offensive coaches than the defensive coaches. If you just look across the league at the playoff teams, and the landscape, you know, for the most part, you're looking at yeah. a lot of former offensive coordinators that really have their hands on the offensive scheme um, and not quite so many, you know, Sean McDermott types. I mean, even Brian Johnson, the the Eagles OC, is getting is getting interviews, right? The Titans are interviewing for a head coaching vacancy. I don't know what, what they're thinking. What about the Eagles offense makes you think that? I have no idea coach, why right? they would like, want to interview him. It doesn't it, make any I've never even heard of him before he was our offensive coordinator. I don't even yeah. know what he did before. I have, I have no idea. I, I don't know either. Yeah, truly, crazy. truly bizarre to me. Yeah. But anyway, it wasn't a fun game. That's my rant. But as far as Hertz, I've started to see a lot of discourse about his dynasty value. Not, you know, anything crazy like plummeting out of the first round or anything, but people are definitely knocking him, you mm-hmm. know, relative to when he was the unquestioned 103. I, I think I've reached a point where I'm comfortable taking Stroud over him. I definitely think there's a good argument for Lamar, but I have a really hard time pushing him any lower than five in my in my head. Yeah, I I mean, this is this is kind of the philosophical dynasty question. Where what what window are you playing in? I I like to play in like 
a forever window because I, I think when when people tell you, oh, you play in a two to three year window, no, that that's dumb, right? Because you don't because by year three, the players that you have have absolutely no value. So unless you're planning on quitting the league, which granted a lot of people are doing, um, then no, you have to play in an infinite window. So you can't just look at who's going to score more points over the next three years. you got to look at what is their value going to be? What's their terminal value, right? To put it mm-hmm. in, a, in a finance perspective. So like how I look at it is Jalen Hurts is going to score more than CJ Stroud over the next three years. I'm pretty confident in that. But CJ Stroud is probably, you know, uh, like I think he's a Hall of Fame player. I think he's significantly better than Jalen Hurts. And I know that sounds ridiculous to say, but he just had arguably the best rookie year ever. Definitely a top, you know, three or five year. Um, I know people were saying that about Justin Herbert too, but again, Justin Herbert's not bad. So I, I would have, it, it's for the same reason I ha- I am probably lower on Lamar than others because I think that people are, there just hasn't been quarterbacks to rush for that many yards after that age. And it's the reason why push comes to shove. I, I do have Josh Allen ranked above Mahomes, but like I can see the Mahomes argument because Allen, you know, he had 15 touchdowns, rushing touchdowns this year. He's dependent on that as well. So I'm a little concerned about Hertz, but definitely top five. I, I have him four in my latest startup rankings. I did move okay. CJ Stroud ahead of him. Um, that has more to do with the fact that I think CJ Stroud could be the best quarterback in the NFL, you know, very soon. Yeah. I think that's fair. No, I mean, I don't think that's crazy at all. Um, when I first heard the kind of Stroud over Hertz, I definitely pushed back on it, but I, I do think that it's reasonable now that there's some level of turmoil within the Eagles organization. I think it's fair to, uh, to knock him a little bit. And I think Stroud is just so can't miss. He's going to be at worst in that Herbert burrow type right. of zone. And so you're, you're gaining a lot of safety and I think you're gaining perception in the market, which does matter. Like if one of these guys is not a top 12 startup pick a year from now, I guarantee you it's Jalen hurts and it's not CJ Stroud. So I do think that matters. Um, But I just can't push him any further down because I do think he's going to continue to score a lot of points. And as far as like, we can argue about whether he's a top eight quarterback or a top 10 quarterback, but he's absolutely a A starter quarterback. Exactly. And so it's, it's like, it's like with Kyler last year. People were like, he's not that good. He's not as good as people think. I don't care because he's going to be a starter. He's a top 32 quarterback in the league without question. It, it's I mean, the I, difference between yeah. Daniel Jones's fantasy production and Kyler's, right? Not, not to mention that Kyler also was scoring four more points a game. But Daniel Jones was, you know, top 12 quarterback, 19.2 points per game or whatever the hell he had, which isn't yeah. even that good. Uh, he's not you need to be a locked in top 20 NFL quarterback in order to have like real dynasty value. And Jalen hurts is without a doubt in that range or, you know, well above 20. So yeah, his floor is not being benched. His floor is not, you know, not able to play at all. His floor mm-hmm. is just that maybe the Eagles suffer. I could see, I could see him being in a different spot than Philadelphia potentially if things don't go well. Uh, right. you know, years from now, but again, it's, he, he's going to be fine. And even if he's not getting, you know, 15 rushing touchdowns, he still is, yeah. a, is a very good player. Yeah, exactly. I just think the the fantasy production is going to be there and I'm not concerned yeah. about his, his outlook. So I, I don't knock him too much, but I, I think we could see that high, high end ceiling maybe come down a little bit. So you need to, it needs to be recalibrated just a touch. Um, but I'm not really, I'm not worried about him. He's not somebody I'm going to be like avoiding, you know, in startups. Um, I don't think that's necessary. He's going to have AJ Brown. He's going to have Devonta Smith for next season, at least. 
and he's not going to have Brian Johnson as his offensive coordinator. I guarantee you that. Whether yeah, or not he, whether or not Sirianni gets fired, we'll see. But yeah, whether or not someone else hires him as a head coach. Uh, Jalen Hurts did go number three in the draft. I uh, I am currently in. By the way, I I started with the one hundred four, uh, and, and Hurts went third. Gotcha. Okay, makes sense. Um, we're gonna move along here because I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. But I did have a quick question here about Cole Komet, which okay. has nothing to do with Wild Card Weekend, obviously, because the Bears didn't make the playoffs because they need to draft a new quarterback. But some people don't think they do, but we don't need to get into that today. You did post a tweet a couple of days ago that caught my eye um, because we don't usually, we don't really disagree that much. Like yeah. I typically take all your takes, and this is a very mild take to disagree with if we're being honest. But you said um, Cole Komet is the best buy at the tight end position, 24 years old. 8.92 relative athletic score out of 10 tight end nine this past season might get a huge quarterback upgrade and he has a long-term contract. And then you say at the end of the tweet, commit over Ferguson, Kelsey, Ingram, Goddard, Musgrave, and Fryermuth. I don't necessarily disagree with him being a buy and I don't necessarily disagree with all the names on that list, but I do have a hard time with some of the higher names there. Um, specifically, I guess, Kelsey and Ingram. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm not sold on the ceiling for Komet, I guess, is the thing. So could you just kind of lay out your case in a little bit more detail for me? Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of the ceiling for Komet. So, I mean, Komet was almost as efficient this year on a per route basis as Travis Kelsey. He was more efficient than Evan Ingram on a per route basis. Uh, per target, he was also better than Evan Ingram. So basically what we have here is, and, and Komet's track record over the last few years has been consistent production. He came into the league at age 20, one of the youngest uh, drafted, uh, sorry, round two drafted tight ends ever. I think he was the second youngest at that point in time to be drafted in the top two rounds. Um, and he's just improved year after year. I mean, this past season, 1.7 yards per route run is excellent. And, he didn't have a good quarterback. I mean, he had what 12 games of Justin Fields. Who's not a good passer. He's not a high volume passer. Uh, so I look at a guy who's 24, who has about as good prospect profile outside of like a guy like Kyle Pitts as you could hope for. I mean, if we look at all the top tight ends, he's a better prospect profile than, than most of them really. Um, and he's, he's gotten better. I, I agree. I don't think he has, 18 points per game upside, which I understand mm -hmm. is like what I typically look for. But Evan Ingram yeah. doesn't like Evan Ingram. This last season was great. He had 16 and a half points per game. That's all just based on volume, right? So yeah. I look at the bears, whoever the bears were this past season is not who they're going to be next season. But Cole Komet is locked into a long-term contract. He is probably going to get Caleb Williams. So we know how that hype machine is going to start building up. So yeah. I look at a guy like I think the floor is incredibly high. Basically, he's being valued at dynasty at tight end 11 right now. I think yeah. that's basically his yearly floor and he's 24 years old. So I would much rather own him than a guy like Ingram, who is 29 years old, whose value is dependent on volume and honestly, the Jaguars offense being a complete mess, you know, so I, I, the Kelsey one, if you take Kelsey over Komet, like I'm not going to judge you for that, like Kelsey is amazing. I just, I don't want to, like I was sitting in the seventh round of the startups and do I take Cole Komet? Do I take Travis Kelsey? I don't want to take a player who could go to nothing by the time the league actually starts. I, I know Kelsey said he's not going to retire. People say a lot of things, right? right. Uh, I don't think he's going to retire this year, but maybe he retires next year. Either way, mm -hmm. I don't want him sitting on my team when he does retire. 
And more importantly, he did not look good this past season. So I, I, I he's yeah. going to be, he's going to outscore Cole Komet next year. That's not the issue, but I think the dynasty community, once they take Caleb Williams, once the chiefs draft another pass catcher or sign another pass catcher, I think Komet's going to be pretty unanimously above Kelsey and Ingram uh, by September. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, I think if Kelsey's back, um, I, I I think his value will maybe linger above his. But I mean, that's just a we're just quibbling about a few you know spots of ADP or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. With Ingram, I mean, it is definitely volume based. He's not efficient per target. I do think the volume matters. Like at tight end, I ultimate. I think the new meta at tight end is kind of like you want those guys that are just getting spammed with targets. Um, you you know McBride. Laporta N- I, I know La- in the second half of the season. I, I know Laporta and Njoku are mixing in like the yards after catch, which is why they're such different difference makers at the position. But ultimately, if I have to choose between the tight end who's efficient and the tight end who I know is getting the volume, I typically just lean towards the one getting the volume because I, yeah, I feel but, like but but yeah. Cole Komet got more volume than Evan Ingram last year. His team just didn't run as many pass plays. Like on a like well, no, I mean I'm looking I'm, uh, at least per the thing I'm looking at. I mean. Ingram's targets per outrun and target share were significantly higher. Oh, I was sorry. I was looking at yards per outrun. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. So that's so the, I, for me because I'm thinking so because where I'm coming at it is like the Bears offense this past year. It's DJ Moore. It's Cole Komet. And then it's literally nobody like Darnell Mooney's nothing. I don't even know who else is on their team. Um, Robert Tunyon. And so I, I don't like the Bears have a lot of assets. They have a lot of flexibility with draft picks and stuff. I don't see any way that they don't add talent to this offense. I think they could very easily add a wide receiver in like the first or second round. They could sign somebody. And I don't, I guess I just don't believe in commit as a talent to fend off DJ Moore and another legitimate receiver. Um, on yeah, top of I, having a rookie quarterback, he's I, on. I, mm-hmm. Why not? Like, like Cole Komet, like w- what don't you believe about him as a talent? Like, I agree. He's not. Travis Kelsey, he's not Mark Andrews. Yeah, but neither neither is Evan Ingram, right? I like, guess it's just how long it's taken him to ramp up. And the argument about him being young, it, it he makes came sense in as a twenty year old. But yeah. he was just so inefficient. I even know. even this year, nineteen percent of targets. You know, you're talking about a low volume passing offense. That's a very consolidated kind of route tree, like a consolidated group of pass catchers. There's not really a running back that was, uh, you know, an impressive pass catcher on that team. I just feel like if he was going to command uh, like a valuable role as a tight end, he would have done it by now in year four in that type of an offensive configuration. I feel like we have seen, well, I know we have seen studies that when pass volume goes up, targets are less consolidated for sure. And then you throw in like, you know, a Rome, uh, a Dunn's type of wide receiver in there or something or some legitimate prospect. I don't know. I just don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that's going to get more than 19% of the targets in an offense. And yeah, so, so this, it just feels very, very like, just feels like it's always going to be a replaceable asset. I, I think, think what I, I think I might be lower on Ingram than you, right? Like, like Komet, Komet got 12.7 points per game this last season, right? Like, yeah. I think he's going to sit around the 13 to 14 points per game. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that Ingram's also probably going to be around there and okay. he's five years older. So right. to me, it's, I, I, I don't think Komet is like, 
I, I'm not going out and buying him for no reason, right? I, you know how I am with tight ends. I have, I have Kincaid or McBride or Andrews in almost every league. I typically have two or three of them. So I'm not struggling and Laporta. So I'm not struggling for tight ends, but if I had Evan Ingram, if I had Dallas Goddard, I view right. this as you're just getting five years younger for basically the same production and so much more safety, right? Because yeah. if Ingram gets, if Ingram tears his ACL, he's worth nothing, right? Like if, if Ingram gets traded, he's worth nothing and he doesn't have a long contract. So yeah. it's, it, again, That's we're kind of just like, like arguing the minutia here, but I, I just think Komet's safer. And I think when you factor in the Caleb mm-hmm. upside, there's so much like hype that you could see yeah. building, right? Mike, this is what the people want. Okay. They, they want, want us 15 to, minute they want us to figure Komet. out. They want us to figure out whether Cole Komet is the tight end 11 or the tight end 10 in dynasty. It's, it's very matters, important. Man. We yeah. have to know um, this is what the people come for. No, I mean, it's a very well thought out argument. I, I think, I think you've pulled me a little bit in your direction. Um, definitely not a guy like I'm excited to go out and get, but I see how he serves a purpose. Um, I think he's actually a nice guy. Like, if you already have a star tight end, he does make sense as a, a kind of a secondary option on your team for sure. And, but, and if you're in a tight end premium league, like he scored. So I I'm in a, this draft I'm in is th- uh, 0.75 tight end premium. I got him at the eight Oh nine, which yeah. is he's scoring 14 points a game in that format. And I'm drafting him after Terry McLaurin, who scored fewer points and is four years older at wide receiver. Like it's, uh, this is why I love tight ends. The values are just insane in tight end premium leagues. But aren't you excited about Terry McLaurin with Eric B enemy as head coach and Drake may at quarterback? I mean, isn't that, I mean, that's the dream, right? No, I'm not excited. (laughs) No, I think, uh, I think, yeah, I think anybody is still holding out hope for that legendary McLaurin season and just needs to give it up at this point. Yep, but I think so. I also think they'll probably have Jaden Daniels at quarterback, but that's a discussion for another time. Well, that could be fun. Um, mm-hmm. All right. I'm not going to uh, tease the listeners anymore. This show is about managing a dynasty portfolio. and We're 30 minutes in. We haven't even talked about managing a dynasty portfolio. So here's the deal. I have a bunch of questions that I would like to ask you. Um, I may go all over the board depending on your answers and how the discussion goes, but it's, I'm basically just interviewing you at this point as the, the high volume dynasty manager that I know. So let's start out with some simple information here. I'd love to know how many leagues you're currently in. And if you could just walk us through like how that came to be, you know, how many years did that take and and how did you even get into it in the first place? So I've been in dynasty for about 20 years. Um, Started a dynasty league with my friends in like fifth grade or something like that. Um, and <laughs> this was before we even really knew what dynasty was. It basically came from our love of like Madden and we were like, let's just do this ourselves. So we just kept the same team. It was on Yahoo or whatever. Uh, we're on sleeper now. Um, and then about seven years ago, I probably was in five leagues and then I've been adding about 10 per year. So last year I was in 97 uh, leagues, uh, 90, 97 dynasty leagues. I was in two like best ball redraft leagues that I just got bored. Um, so quite a bunch. Uh, my goal is to, what I'm trying to do is cut down on some of the lower level leagues uh, in terms of mm-hmm. buy-in. Cause I would like to be, I would like to have more money in, in fantasy, but fewer leagues. So that is, right. that's kind of my goal for this off season. That makes sense. Um, I actually have been kind of thinking the same thing is back when I was first starting dynasty, like I didn't really feel like I knew what I was doing and I was just joining these leagues that were like $20 buy-ins. Right. And now I have 20 leagues and a lot of them are those lower level buy-ins. And I'm like, 
why am I stressing out so much about making deals in a league where I get first place and they like somebody Venmo's me $200? Like what, what is the point of it, that? It, um, <laughs> exactly. Right. You're in a $25 league, right? If yeah. you have, if you have, if you're the one seed, your odds of winning are about 40%, right? So let's say that you take home 40% of the winnings on average in that league, a 12 team league, you're going to be making a hundred bucks basically. So you're spending I don't know how many hours to make a hundred dollars in profit over the course yeah. of a year. It's it's just exactly. really not worth it. Exactly. And and so we'll we'll go ahead and talk about that kind of the investment and the ROI aspect. I just have to first say that in fifth grade, um, I had never watched a football game. Oh, and all and all I did was play RuneScape. So nice. Um, I didn't actually I didn't even start watching football till my friend Sam got me into the Eagles when I was in seventh grade. Um, and then I immediately became obsessed with it. And then yeah. I started playing fantasy for the first time when I was in like maybe 10th grade, um, played redraft like every year with some friends until about four years ago, I think I started playing dynasty. So much shorter journey for me. Well, I'm glad that you didn't have to witness your Eagles lose to my Patriots in 2005 then. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I grew up in Boston. So, uh, you know, Tom Brady started when I was what, five years old. So, uh, yeah, everyone liked football there. Yeah, this may or may not be true. I think my dad may have just like sworn off football after that Super Bowl. So I was like <laughs> young enough. enough that I wasn't really into it then. And then he kind of just stopped watching the Eagles. And yeah. uh, and then I kind of got him back into it when uh, when I started watching. But nice. But yeah, so so definitely a shorter journey for me. Um, but yeah, so you, you make a good point about kind of your expected value. And like if you're actually running your team, you're, you're putting in waiver claims, you're, you're going to you know, other managers trying to make trades or trying to make your team better. It is a large investment um, just to manage one league. And when you're playing for a grand prize of $200, you start to kind of game that out in your head. And it, look, I play for fun, but like you have to derive a lot of enjoyment out of it for that to really feel worth it in the end. Yeah. Um, and I got hit with that a little bit this year because I made like 85, 90 trades during the season you know, and then I, I kind of look back at the end of the year and like, I'm, I'm willing to be transparent about my kind of my investment, but I had about $600 in league fees. Um, I did win about a thousand dollars this year, but then, I, but you know, $400 profit, like I, I spent a lot of time on sleeper, you know, yeah. just, it's like, I could spend that time doing other stuff. So that's one thing I'm thinking through as I consider, you know, where's the next step in my, in my dynasty journey. And the ROI does matter to me. Like, I think I have an edge, generally speaking. I think that I can manage teams well, and I think I can consistently have some success, but the degree of that success does matter. So what are your kind of general thoughts on the whole ROI debate that made its way around Twitter? And do you think that Dynasty is like a legitimate way that you can make money? I mean, you play in a lot of leagues. I have to assume that's a part of it, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, like first of all, yeah, I I I have made money for the last five years. I basically how I have built up my leagues is I just take my profit and just kind of join more leagues. Uh, not going to be doing that this year, so I have to deal with all these league safe taxes and stuff. So that's going to be fun. But um, yeah, <laughs> you, you can absolutely make money. Is it an efficient way to make money? Absolutely not. Right, mm -hmm. unless you're joining. Like I, I had about eleven thousand dollars of league fees last year. So I made a good amount of money because I, I did pretty well in those leagues, but I, I easily spent, you know, 25 plus hours a week on that. And I'm not making enough for this to be, you know, a 50% of my job. Uh, fortunately, you know, I, I've 
gone into content creation and playing in the leagues obviously helps me with that as well. But the money to me is like, this is a hobby. I, I love, I love doing fantasy anyways. I love watching Mm -hmm. football. So how much of this time would I be spending either on football anyways, or on other BS wasting time scrolling through Instagram. Right. So like, to me, it was like, here's a productive way to, spend a lot of time on something I love and I'm obsessed with. Um, also you, you can absolutely make money and I I've more yeah. than two X my league fees for the last five years, at least every year. And it, it's, it's not easy to do that. It takes a lot of work to do that, but there are sustainable ways to build a team. And one of the keys is having honestly a big enough portfolio. Cause the number one thing that I hear from people who when I tell them, listen, this team sucks, you got to tank. Or it doesn't even suck. This team is the sixth best team in the league. You right. got to tank. Everyone's like, nah, but my brother's in that league. He's going to give me so much shit. Or like, this is my only team. And I almost <laughs> won two years ago. And I, I really just want to get over the hump, right? I don't have any emotions to my specific teams, which mm. is a part of fantasy football that a lot of people love. Um, other than like my one league that's been going on for 20 years. So a lot of people absolutely love that having an emotional connection to the teams. I don't look at it that way. Right. I look at it as a portfolio. I'm trying to make money over the long run. So I don't care that 20 of my teams were absolutely terrible this season. Right. The goal was to be terrible for those because I have 70 others that are competing. Um, But I understand like most people aren't going to get into 95 teams. And if I'm being honest, I think that the number, the optimal number like that I would like to be in is, is well, well short of 90. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's an important note for anybody that's like looking to add more leagues or play in a lot of leagues. Um, it is not, you know, it's not the most efficient way that you can make money. And I think that that's just like logical. Like you think it through in terms of your, your odds of winning and the time that you have to invest. Um, and for me, like, that's fine. I don't need it to be the most efficient way because it is fun. Um, I, I like making trades. I like negotiating. I like talking about it. Um, it's part of why I got into content creation because I, I wanted to be able to kind of, again, justify the time spent. Yeah. But not everybody that's playing Dynasty needs to be a content creator. Um, you just need to kind of understand what you're getting into. And so, you know, you want to maximize, like, the number of leagues that you can handle, um, the more leagues you're in, I do think that it it scales better than you might think. Like managing one team, I spent a lot of time on, and now I manage 20. And it's like I definitely spend more time doing that, but it's not 20 times as much. Like it, it seems like there you can kind of streamline your process a little bit. You yeah, obviously because, managed oh. to do that, you know, extremely well. And so I, I would like to hear how basically like what where do you cut corners? And how do you actually maximize the value of your time when it comes to managing your teams? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are economies of scale that you get, like all of the knowledge that you like, if you're listening to podcasts like this, trying to learn for your one fantasy team, if you have 20 fantasy teams, all of that scales, right? You don't need to listen to 20 times the podcasts. You but just need to listen to this one 20, 20 times. times. Yeah, over. Exactly. yeah, you start but on over really on yeah. like five X speed though. So it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, no. So we, I, uh, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. I, I think I think the best thing to do is the, the way that I cut corners, first of all, all of mine are dynasty, right? I don't screw around with redraft. I don't screw around with basketball. I don't do DFS. I gamble. Uh, so that's the other kind of aspect of things that I do uh, for football. But 
Otherwise, I am 100% focused on Dynasty, which really does make it easier. I cut corners on waiver wire, right? I did a whole analysis last year where I figured out that over the course of a season, the average full waiver wire budget in a 12-team, 30-roster spot league is worth about the equivalent of a late third-round pick. So if there is... When Joe Burrow got hurt, I went to all my leagues and tried to add Jake Browning, but I am not spending time on waivers other than the incredibly obvious ones because I've learned that it is just not worth it if you're in deep leagues. Um, the other way that I caught corners is my starting lineups. So last year, uh, I was in you know 60 leagues or so. Uh, sorry, two years ago. It took me about six hours on Sunday morning to do my starting lineups. This last year in 95 leagues, it took me about an hour and a half. So about a minute per league. And that's because I don't make any decisions, right? Like I, again, went through and did an analysis and I was at about 51%. I started the right player. And that was not enough for me to spend an extra five hours every weekend trying to figure out. So now I go through my lineup and I say, oh, should I play Gabe Davis or Jacoby Myers? Let's play Myers, right? Like I don't think about it too much because it is just a toss up. Do you have any fun ways? Like some weeks it's like alphabetical. Some weeks you flip a coin. Like, do you do anything that's to kind of streamline that? Or? You know, it it so depends on my mood. Like there are some days where some mornings where I'm like, hell yeah, I'm rolling. Like I just feel the vibe. I got an instinct on this one. Yeah. And some, some mornings I'm like spending five minutes researching this one lineup decision. I'm like, this is such a waste. But every yeah. time I did that this year, every time I did that this year, I made the wrong decision. Like I, like I'm still getting flashbacks to a championship I lost. I spent the entire morning trying to decide if I was going to play Travis Etienne or DeAndre Swift. And I must have swapped the two of them like five times. And I ended up playing you Swift. Swift yeah. yeah. And I lost by two points. Um, yeah. I mean, Etienne was the one that was in the lineup. Like when I opened the app and I should have just left it. Like I should have just left it there. And yeah. I, I messed with it. It just isn't start. Sit is such a fallacy. Like of all the content that I will ever create, I will never I used to write a start sit column and I stopped because I, I realized how stupid it was. Yeah. I was getting things wrong all the time. And I was like, am I an idiot? No, I don't think I'm an idiot. Like, I think I know how football works. And I realized like, it just isn't predictable. Like on a week to week basis between similar assets, it's just a coin toss. So yeah, I mean, you can just play the highest projected player. You can flip a coin. You can. I, I would literally yeah. look up some consensus rankings. Like to be honest, I, I use CBS's rankings where those were, uh, Cummings, Azer, or Eisenberg, and one other dude like ranks them. Yeah. And I literally just look at the aggregate and whoever's highest, I pick them, except if they're a tight end, I pick them because tight end premium. But, and because you just have a like a fetish for tight ends, obviously. That too. But, I mean, they're um, good, good looking guys out there. They are. Dalton Kincaid, I mean, he is handsome. Like, yeah. let's be, let's be real for a second. Yeah. Um, but, but seriously, this is good. This is good knowledge for anybody who feels overwhelmed. Like, I felt overwhelmed at times during the season. Um, I missed whole waiver runs, like just mm-hmm. forgetting to do it. Um, and and that's an, an incredible fact. Like this analysis that your your waiver runs, they're just not going to be worth that much. Like it's a very much on the margins thing. And when you play portfolio, that's the biggest difference. You're not worried that much about the margins. You are worried about the massive edge you can gain via like game theory and roster construction. And you're not so much worried about grinding those small edges. Like when you run one team or you're in a league with like just your friends and you're just, you want to go all out. I get it. If you want to grind the waiver wire or you want to think about every start sit decision, I don't think you're going to really do that much better, but I get why you would want to invest that time, but it doesn't make sense 
I mean, in 10 leagues, let alone 50 or 90 leagues. So you do have to cut corners, but you can do it in a way that's not really going to affect your expected value. And and the time where, uh, the time where the waiver wire is most important in dynasty is in the off season when most of the time you're picking up players for free. So for instance, I have about 60% roster ship of Demario Douglas, who I know I've talked about with you in the past, who was nothing. And it is now worth, you know, a second round pick. Uh, I had all of him in the offseason, so I didn't have to worry about picking him up in week one. Um, so if you do your work early, sometimes you can benefit from that. I will say the one place that my fantasy game has suffered the more leagues that I've joined is trading. W- without mm-hmm. a doubt, trading is what takes the most time. And there are leagues where, fortunately, most of them are the lower money leagues that I've been in for five years, so the teams are in really strong positions, but where I definitely was not as active of a trader this year as I have been in past years. Um, so that is that is a sacrifice that you're, you're definitely going to have to make if you want to join a whole bunch of leagues. Yeah, and that's something that I specifically need to work on because I was treating every league like it was my one league and I was yeah. trying to make all these deals. But the the fact of the matter is like a lot of times trades, a lot of trades aren't necessary. Like mm-hmm. Jacob Sanderson's talked about this and he's written about it on his Substack. but like there are reasons to trade. And usually if you're going into like, if you're just opening up your app and like, how can I like, you know, gain a little bit of value or like, how can I trade this wide receiver for this other wide receiver? I like a little bit more like, that's usually not going to matter in the long run. Um, a lot of times you'll just get that wrong anyway. Right. So you want to think about making efficient trades. It's like, okay, I'm a rebuilder. I have a piece of contender would want, I'm going to go with like, I have an actual plan and I'm just going to fire off like a similar offer to a bunch of different owners. Or I'm going to just post in chat. Like, you know, I'm not going to make the playoffs Devonte Adams available for, you know, this first round pick or whatever you can yeah, no, make I'm, trades I, I, that are more like functional. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned that. I basically now with so many leagues, I have two types of trades that I make. One is I think this player is incredibly undervalued or incredibly overvalued. And I literally offer for that player or try to sell that player in every single league. So I, I could say, you know, I think this player is super undervalued. I'm going to send out 97 trade offers um, and 70 of them will get rejected 25 will get countered and two will get accepted. Right. That's, that's fine. The other type of trade I'll make, and this is where, you know, the, the diagnostics that I do come in is all of my teams have a rating, right? Where are they ranked in the league? What's my expected profit for each of them? How likely is it that I can actually win a title and then basically an action line. So all of that. So basically I, by mid season, all of my teams are either contending or trying to tank for the 101. And I have like, you know, four or five of my teams that are like in between the fifth and the eighth seed, right? The, the right. treadmill of mediocrity that I try to avoid that I talk about. So it's those teams that, you know, I have a flag for my diagnostics saying you're stuck in the middle. And then I'm like, all right, I either got to make a win now trade or more likely yeah. the way I play make a rebuilding move. But other, other than like, like you said, a functional team focused trade or a player specific, you know, I want to acquire more shares of this guy. Uh, I'm not just fooling around for no reason. Yeah, I am constantly. So I'm trying <laughs> to stop doing that. I like think I'm the smartest guy in the room sometimes. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to like really finesse everybody. And it's really just like me spending three hours on sleeper to like eventually get one deal done that nets me like a ha- late second worth of value. And it's right. like, think, think about what you're doing. Um, if I'm like watching TV or something, I can, maybe I can justify it. It's like, whatever it's mindless, but 
but yeah, you want to make those functional deals. That's really the priority. I kind of did that with Puka Nakua early in the year. Um, I, I basically offered for him in every single league. Yep. And I tried, you know, different variations of offers because after week one, I, I kind of realized something was going on. Um, so over the course of like a few weeks, I kind of was sending out offers and I was like raising my, my buy-in price. And so I, I kind of, I ended up getting him in five out of 18 leagues, um, at various price points, but like the first trade I got done, I traded a late second for him. That was like after week one. And then the next week I traded Jamison Williams for him straight up and that felt good. And then the next week I traded Calvin Ridley for him straight up. Um, and so I just kind of kept raising my, my entry. Cause I was like, this guy, like he's awesome. Yeah, so, and you didn't raise it enough. <laughs> Right, exactly. I didn't I didn't get him in as many as I could have, um, but I did get a good amount of exposure after having none. And so there are those situations where you can really see like the market is just not where it should be or it's a player where there's a wide range of opinions. And so, yeah. you know, in some of your leagues, you're going to get a deal done and other leagues, people are going to tell you to, you know, screw off. But um, but when you're in a portfolio, you just get to think about it a little bit differently. And I we kind of glazed over, but I like that point you made about the information you take in, it becomes more useful to you because you can apply it in more places. Like, right. I can't imagine paying for dynasty content. I, or I said, I would say I couldn't hey imagine. Hey no, 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 no. <laughs> I couldn't imagine if I only had one dynasty team, I could not imagine paying for dynasty content. It, it just wouldn't make that much sense. But if you have totally. three, even three teams, you have five teams, it makes way more sense because everything that you learn, every player take, every strategy, you get to now apply 5x 10x 20 and it's like if if i write a whole article on you should buy cole Komet, and if you're in one league and the guy's a bears fan and he just says no all right well then all <laughs> the information you just learned is useless but your advice it, sucked right but if you're in me. 20 leagues and you can yeah. go to 20 cole Komet owners and say right. hey what's the price then you can make something happen so it's yeah it's just yeah and in the same way if you if i'm in a bunch of leagues and you know, Dalton Kincaid is, we mentioned a few times, he was obviously one of my guys. If someone offered, if I'm in two leagues and I have Dalton Kincaid in both and someone wants him, I might say no, cause I love him. But since I have 35 shares, I'm totally okay. Trading him away. Right. You also have like a Dalton Kincaid body pillow and a life-size poster. <laughs> that too. Yeah. So I'm, I'm okay. Should have put on <laughs> yeah. the Jersey for this. So pod. you're all set. Um, no, that, that really does make a ton of sense. Another thing that comes into it with a portfolio of teams is you start thinking about players in terms of uh, percentages, you know, yeah. exposure percentages. And you're, you you could say like, I only have 10% of Cole Komet and I want to have 15, you know, I want to mm -hmm. have 20. Obviously, the more leagues you have, the more it gets kind of divided up there. But do you value diversification in your portfolio, generally speaking? Like, is it something that you think about, you know, you have too much of a player or you're, you're trying to get to a certain exposure on a player because you don't want to get burnt? Yeah, so it's absolutely something that I think about. Um, however, most of my diversification is natural uh, mm -hmm. because I'm not a guy who's going to pay wildly out of market because yeah. while I do often think I'm the smartest person in the room because, you know, everyone's got a bit of an ego, uh, I, I, I know that I'm not, right? So, you know, Sky Moore, for instance, I was incredibly high on Sky Moore. That dude sucks. I, I thankfully didn't have 97 shares because I wasn't willing to pay more than what the market priced him at. So I had 20 shares and those completely shit the bed, but so be it. Yeah. Guy like Devon Achan, I was incredibly high on, but I'm not gonna, I wasn't gonna give up a, a random first for him last year, even if I thought he was gonna be really good because I know I could be wrong. But I was yeah. buying him at an early second where he was going in a lot of drafts. So I mm -hmm. ended up with a lot of shares. So 
I think naturally I end up with my most owned players other than like the pop Douglas, like free guys yeah. at around 30 to 40% is where my most owned players get. And if, if someone does get a little bit too high, I'm going to at least do my digging and I better have a damn good thesis on why I think that they're undervalued. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, Pass- passive diversification. Um, yeah, exactly. Somebody, and I've heard and, that term. I don't remember where, but. It's, and it's and so, and some of that diversification also just comes from like if I have players on a similar tier in the rookie draft, for instance, I yeah. won't take the same one every time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just to make sure to get some of the diversification that way. The the interesting point that I think a lot of people don't think about is do you want to? And in best ball, I know people think about this: is do you want to have a minimum amount of a certain player that you don't like? So, for instance, I have never rostered Aaron Rodgers in dynasty. I think I've had like one share total. I just don't like him um (laughs) i also think he's been a bad dynasty value for most of you know his career but regardless um i haven't rostered a lot of him and i really don't care right like if he has an mvp season that's not going to impact me in like a major way because when you have so many different teams like the marginal impact of one player never really matters like the Amari Cooper week 16 performance, like that mattered. That's also unpredictable. So, and, and you could end up playing one Amari Cooper in your 90 leagues that week, or you could end up playing 20 of them, right? You don't get to choose your opponent's uh, rostership percentages. So it's all just kind of random. And I just think making the best decisions on a singular basis puts you in a good spot, but I do do an analysis of my rostership shares just to see who I'm off on. And generally it's old running backs that I just don't own any of uh, any of. And like I said, and actually older wide receivers, like the, the Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Terry McClure and Chris Godwin, all those guys, I I end up not rostering any of those either. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, um, I do think sometimes there's players where I'm like, this guy's fun. I want to, I'm going to go out of my way and try to get like, you know, some exposure because, even just one share because like, I like the idea of him being on my team, but for the most part, I I don't care that much if I don't have a player, you know, I don't have a lot. And I think a lot of it is like those mid tier kind of wide receivers, especially where it just like, it doesn't matter. You know, if they, if they pop off, there's so many wide receivers out there, like the odds that that's going to hurt you in a significant way is just not that high. I think there are some kind of high upside players where, where like, you can kind of see the case and maybe Jordan love should have been somebody like this where yeah. you, you can, you maybe go out of your way and say, I'm not going to have none of this guy because I think the upside is through the roof. Whereas somebody like Terry McLaurin, just to pile on him for the third time in this podcast, like if he has a 1500 yard season or something like it doesn't like, you're not going to gain anything other than just the points. Like you're not really going to gain that much value. You're not going to, you're not going to have something that's going to change the trajectory of your dynasty team. Whereas if you bought Jordan love for like a late second, your dynasty team looks completely different, you know? And, and Jordan Love, by the way, is a guy that I'm about at 10% on, you know, expected mm-hmm. is 8%. So I, I wasn't, I was low on him. I didn't love what he was doing early in the season. But yeah. like you said, like mostly due to passive diversification, he was super underpriced a year ago when it was clear he was going to start at some point. So I was, yeah. I was getting him as a throw in for thirds, right? So it's, it's all just the marginal moves in every single deal, just like, Uh, To me, like what I always try to do is like, don't be picky, right? Like if I prefer a player, I'm willing to give up that player for a player I like slightly less if I get a second added on, right? It's why I trade back in every single startup because I was at the 104 in the startup we were just talking about. I moved back to the 109 and I got Justin Jefferson, right? Like I'm, 
I wish it would have been nice to have, you know, Joe Burrow, but I'm happy with Justin Jefferson and I picked up a haul to do it. So yeah. like you, it's, it's just about not being picky and, and picking, you know, basically getting the, the least uh, valued player in every tier, right. With, with hypothetically the same upside. Yes. And again, that comes back to almost like a time-saving thing, not being picky because you could stare at a trade in your inbox. Somebody sending you like, Jalen Waddle or Nico Collins in a second. And you can stare at that all day long and you can think, man, am I going to win this deal? Am I gonna... Or you could just take Nico in the second, regardless of whether you kind of like Waddle more or whatever. And you can say, these guys are similar enough. I'm probably going to, you know, win this deal most of the time because I'm yep. getting the extra value. And you just move on with your day. Like you've just saved yourself time and you've, you're probably going to, that's going to work out for you more times than not when you're talking about similar assets. Like let other people be picky and you just kind of, absorb the excess value that people are willing to move in order to get their preferences. Yeah. The one thing that I do like doing is, and I did this early in the season is if there are two players that are valued pretty closely and I largely, I significantly prefer one, I will offer that straight up swap a lot and sometimes offer to pay for it. So for instance, early in the season, I was about 25% exposure on AJ Brown. I'm at about 5% right now. And I would say of that 20% swing, 15 of it was straight up for Amon Ross St. Brown. Cause I was doing my research and I was like, I just like ARSB better. I'm higher on his future. He's younger. I think he's going to produce more now. And I just made that switch. I, I never paid more than a third round pick to make it happen. Sometimes I got a third round pick. So overall my portfolio basically just swapped those two out. Yeah. And the more leagues you have, the less you need to sweat like a small difference. Like what's a third round pick? you know, uh, amongst the, all the roster value of all your teams put together. I, I, like how does I actually, that I do that? have in my diagnostics, like the total value of all of my rosters. Of course you do. Yeah. yeah. So, so I look at it, I'm like, Oh, I just made an awesome trade. My roster value went up 0.04%. Does that yeah. stuff happen automatically? Like for yeah. that's crazy. That's yeah. how does that even work? How do you even get the data on that? Is it through like a dynasty it, planet or something or some no, kind so of it's, it's, it's the same thing. Dynasty planet does. So we, yeah. I, utilize the sleeper api so sleeper has a good a i don't know if you know what API okay is, but basically it just sort of read. yeah <laughs> so basically it can just read what's on the website so for for my patrons if if they just give me their username basically i can get all of their leagues all the rosters all the traded draft picks etc um and then i just created a model basically using a bunch of data as inputs as well as like various projections and things like that um, I just created a model to basically analyze it all. And then for my patrons specifically, I, you know, do a write up on each of their team, giving some recommendations and stuff like that. Uh, and then for my team, it just like ranks them all, uh, right. tells me a whole bunch of info about them, which, uh, which mm -hmm. honestly saves me. Like I, I create, I was talking to you about yeah. this before I created this, not to, not to sell it to other people, but literally just to use it myself. And I'm an Excel nerd. Um, and then, yeah, it's become, you know, a pretty, pretty functional, uh, functional model. Yeah. We could have saved a lot of time. If you want to manage a dynasty portfolio, just go sign up for dynastyzoltan.com and get the diagnostics and then you're all set and you, you, guaranteed ROI. Um, 
<laughs> I, uh, my, it says that uh, on the website, actually. It says you will 10x your money every year. Yeah, if even you... if the payout is only 7x. My, uh, b- both my yeah. parents are attorneys, and I, I was getting I was getting Dynasty Zoltan LLC'd, and they were like, you got to put all these conditions on the website. Like, I'm not right. liable for any bad advice and stuff. It's like, it's it's not that real. You said, Mom, I don't give bad advice. Yeah, come on. Who do you think I am? But but um, seriously, yeah, I will guarantee you, if you're in 97 leagues, and yeah. you do my diagnostics, you'll win at least one of them. That's a great that's a great guarantee. Um, statistically, that seems likely. Last point on the diversification thing, I just throw my own input in there. I only yeah. have you said 30 to 40 percent is about your max. I I did check before the show. Um, and as far as like real players are concerned, like players that carry any legitimate value, um, I only have one guy above 30. Five percent, and that's Kyler Murray, who I actually have in fifty percent of my leagues. Yeah, currently, um, and that was just a byproduct of of what his value looked like, you know, last off season. It still hasn't quite recovered to the point that I think it should. So I'm not necessarily like jumping at my opportunity to sell. I still think he has potential to rise from here, especially if they're able to add like a serious wide receiver in the draft. Um, but that is a number I look at, and it, it does make me a little a little weak in the knees. Like it's just a lot of a lot of investment in one player. And so that's something where I'm, I'm probably going to look to move one or two of those at least um, over the course of the off season. But because I have all these options, you know, I can sell him to the highest bidder yeah. um, and not really care which league it is. To, to me, the way I would look at it is like, you know, that's if you know, when you're in one league or two leagues and that sinking feeling you get where like your best player tears an ACL, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I don't mean to demean, obviously it, it sucks worse for them, but we all know how bad that feels. I don't ever want to be in a position where like I get that feeling for someone in my portfolio. Like it, it definitely right. does suck. Like I, I have 35% Javante and he was going as a second round startup pick. And when he tore his ACL at the beginning of 2022, that sucked, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna completely like hamstring all of my teams, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I just checked. I have six relevant players above, above 30%. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's a good rule of thumb. Technically speaking, like diversification isn't actually good or bad. It just increases variance. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like my own personal pro I, I value diversification because I'm trying to maintain like a steady floor. You know, I, I'm not really looking for wild swings. I would rather make money every year than make a lot of money in some years. And, and there's, uh, a dynasty analyst, uh, that I have been on many a podcast with, if if you've listened to any of my stuff before who he's in about 40 leagues and he probably has the same eight players in 35 of them. And it's the most unusual strategy I've ever seen. And, there are some weeks where he is literally going 38 and two. And there are some weeks that he's going, you know, 10 and 30. So it's like you said, it really just changes the variance and it makes it so, especially in a game where, you know, it's not based on all play. It's based on winning the last week. You could get really screwed or super lucky the last week. Has he considered just joining like one high stakes league instead of all of these different leagues? I think I'm selling him on like a $3,000 empire league where, uh, he he doesn't he may he i don't know <laughs> he's an that's, interesting story but yeah. that's crazy Three thousand. Yeah. yeah that's nuts i don't know about i don't know about that one my highest buy-in currently is 50 dollars. um but i am looking to maybe add some, some i i got you heavier uh, hitters this off season I, so. I got you i'll be hosting some startups and stuff um 
I, I, I was in a $20,000 league once, but it wasn't for me. I was managing like a family friend's league. Uh, and gotcha. he, he gave me commission though. So that was nice. That That is nice. Yeah. I guess you, you commission a lot of leagues. I assume you don't run all those leagues for free. Uh, no, uh, I, I, I do uh, the leagues I commission. I, I run for free. Um, okay. I, I am now starting this, this off season and I did it in a few leagues last off season for my patrons running leagues that I don't actually play in. Um, okay. so, uh, th this season I'm going to be doing some as well. I, I have, uh, a whole bunch of orphans and startups posted at, at dynastyzoltan.com if you're interested. Uh, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be hosting, commissioning them. I got, you know, my, my rules set down and mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are just looking for, you know, reliable leagues and I, I like to, you know, be able to offer them with yeah. not, you know, having to set lineups and do trades in 500 leagues. No, I mean, that's, that's a good service for sure. Cause it can be hard to find good leagues. Like I've started leagues with random people from Twitter that I didn't know very well. And there's always some weird drama that you're not interested in dealing with. So trying yeah. to kind of refine that search process. Um, but it does bring up an interesting question, which is how your, your edge or your, uh, expected ROI can vary depending on like the makeup of your leagues. Like if you play in leagues with all dynasty analysts, you should expect to win less money than when you play with like people you meet on Reddit. Um, so like, how does your portfolio look in terms of like who you're playing in leagues with? And do you notice a difference? You know, if you kind of isolate some of those leagues into different demographics, are you noticing that you have more success in certain types of leagues? So that's a tough variable for me to isolate because mm -hmm. Just kind of anecdotally, that, you know. Right, yeah, for sure. I no, I actually do run run regression analyses on my league. So <laughs> that it actually is a, a variable I've tried to isolate because the issue is that typically the way that I do my leagues, I am losing money the first two years and then swimming in it thereafter. So most of the like analyst leagues that I've joined have been over the last two years since I've started producing content. So yeah. I'm expecting not to win in those as much. One thing that I have learned throughout joining ranging from 25 to thousand dollar leagues is that my, the difficulty and the winning percentage has not changed based on whether it's a more expensive or a cheaper league. So part yeah. of me, I was like, you know, I, I, I got to join a hundred dollar league before I join a thousand dollar league. Cause what if all these people are just geniuses? They're not, <laughs> it's, it's regardless, they're just wealthier or less responsible, right? They're not right. smarter. So as far as joining higher money leagues, I haven't found that to be more difficult, but mm. anecdotally, to be honest, there are probably five or 10 leagues that I'm in where in the first month, I just slaughtered a few trades, right? And it literally set me up for the next yeah. 10 years. That doesn't happen as much in leagues where everyone is at least smart enough to have mm -hmm. to have access to someone else's ranking system, right? And to not yeah. trade. Like there are some leagues where like I traded a startup first for the other guys like second, third, fourth, fifth, and two future, right? Because <laughs> oh, they don't no. know what they're doing. So that doesn't happen in analyst leagues, but so it, it is a little bit more on the margins, but no, I, right. I, I've found a similar amount of success, I'd say. Gotcha. Because I'm thinking, like I play in a lot of leagues with similar, like like-minded like people, like people that I'm friends with that I talk and analysis with. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe all the leagues I add this off season need to just be off of like Dynasty Reddit. Like I could just like 
get on, you know, get in some leagues with some people who don't yeah. share all the same opinions as me. And uh, I, I do like being in leagues with, uh, I want to say like three years ago or so, I was maybe in like 40 leagues and 20 of them probably had like eight of the same owners. Like we just all joined a whole bunch of leagues together. And I, great guys, like, uh, like wasn't any problem with that. But like, I definitely like having a little bit more like diversity in terms of the ownership of the leagues. Right. Cool. Well, Cause you just kind of, you can get pigeonholed into like a lot of the same builds. If everybody totally. has kind of the same opinions and you kind of, it's like a, just a gridlock of trades. Like if you know, you know, owner X is like way higher on Aaron Jones, he's going to get Aaron Jones. And then this guy's going to get Josh Allen. And then this guy's going to get, and it's like, it's predictable. And it's also, it's just, you're not as fluid. Like you, you don't sure. benefit from a lot of those things. So, um, I do think it is good to be in kind of a, a variety of types of leagues with a lot of different people. Um, so that way, when there is an edge, you have the most possible attempts basically to utilize that edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, great. So we've covered a lot of the stuff that I had written down um, about, you know, managing high volume and how it's different, how we can cut corners, how we can be efficient with our time, not sweating the small stuff as much. Um, your diversification. I'm just skimming my questions here to see if I missed anything I wanted to ask. Uh, one more thing that you didn't bring up that I, I want to talk about. Go um, ahead. I want to talk about orphaning leagues. Um, another another hot topic issue. Oh, yeah. And uh, I am orphaning about 30 to 40 leagues this this offseason. Um, they're, they're all $50 or less. The reason I'm orphaning them is because, you know, trying to, trying to up the entry fees without lowering, without upping the time commitment. Uh, yes. every single one of the teams that I'm orphaning is, is very good. Uh, there are leagues that are, that I'm in that are $25 leagues where my teams are bad. I am keeping those teams until I can turn them around. And it's not cause I can't find a replacement. Like I can find replacements on Twitter or whatever. So I, I just think like, I, I am totally in the position, like do what makes you happy. If you joined too many leagues and you're not enjoying yourself anymore, you're not having fun. That's fine. But like, we're adults. Most people who play dynasty are probably in their twenties and thirties, but we're still adults here. Just like be aware of your responsibilities and be aware of how you might be negatively impacting people. Even if it's just 11 strangers, even if it's just your commissioner, like I have to fill about 150 orphans probably this off season, if not more, um, yeah. just, just be cognizant of it. And if you're going into a league with the intent to go all in an orphan, or if you decided in October, I'm going to trade all my young players for old people. Cause I'll just orphan after the season. That's cheating, right? Like I know <laughs> it's allowed, but it's cheating. You're playing redraft, go join a redraft league. There are better ways to make money if that's what this is for. And you're not getting any bragging rights because you're leaving the league and no one's proud yeah. of you for basically cheating. So I would say if you're trying to make money, go get a job. If you're trying to have fun, don't be a dick. That's yeah. just my quick, quick rant um, on that. Yeah. Well, eventually orphaning leagues like that will get you sent to federal prison. We're still working on like the legislation on that. on that. Um, but in the meantime, just, you know, watch out. Cause Mike, Mike's going to get you. Um, if you're orphaning your leagues and well, that's a good I, point, it's just I, not worth, like, it's not worth it. Just don't, just don't do it's it. It's not worth being a dick and it's not worth the bad karma. What I am actually working on, by the way, is I'm working on a system where I'm working on like a version of sleeper slash leak safe. This is like, uh, it's going to be years down the road, oh my but gosh. it would be, uh, it would be a platform where basically, uh, you cannot orphan leagues without having severe financial repercussions the goal would be to make like 
I, it, I'm trying to figure out whether I would hold money or an escrow or have some way to act like it couldn't be via credit card because you could just cancel it. I'm still trying to figure right. it all out. The legal situation is really tough with it, but it's coming and I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's going to it's going to be good. Mm -hmm. Well, you could like hold, you know, a, one of their family members hostage or something. Well, that's that what way? I was like thinking. But these, these people are such assholes. They probably don't <laughs> even care, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're going to orphan their league. They're going to orphan their kids. They don't care. Um, I thought where you were going to go with it is something where like each account has like a very visible history of like the number of leagues they've been in and the leagues they've left and like, yeah, but you could like just that. make a new account. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, unless, there are ways unless to you needed a social security number to so sign up I, or something. I, I'm yeah. not kidding. That's, that would be the way to do it. The other way would be you can only play, pay via bank transfer and to have it linked to a bank account where if you're going to start like mm -hmm. a bank account under a different name, like I guess do your thing. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. I do think that more transparency about how many leagues you've joined, how many leagues you quit, like yeah. what shape the rosters were left in. I've, I've had people come to me this off season being like all these people leaving your orphans, like the ones who are doing it maliciously, you need to start keeping a list. And I know on MFL, there actually is a list of like, mm -hmm. don't let these owners join your league. Um, haven't seen that on sleeper, but it's, it's an idea. I'm also thinking. About. Yeah, there you go. Something like that. Some kind of blacklist or something, but yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Someday we'll all be playing our leagues on dynastyzoltan.com. <laughs> As um, you can tell, I have a lot of ideas. We'll see yeah. what actually comes to fruition, but Hey, you've already built a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I don't doubt that you can pull it off, but, um, but that is a cool idea. I think, I think we've pretty much nailed it on the portfolio stuff. I'm, this off season, I really want to start getting more organized with kind of how I like a lot of what I do is just in my head and I don't have it all figured out. And I want to like put some things on paper in terms of like decision-making processes that like streamline my decisions where I don't have to spend as much mental energy on things. And I like have a rule for that, you know, like a, you know, a heuristic or like a flow chart or something. And, and some of that stuff's going to help me manage a lot of leagues, but how important would you say it is? to have something that is distinct from your fantasy app that helps you manage your leagues, whether it's a spreadsheet or it's, you know, you have obviously your fancy diagnostics, but you didn't always have that. Yeah. Um, uh, how, how valuable is that? I mean, I would say if you have more than five leagues, it is like mm -hmm. so necessary. Like I, I, I know even with like, if you have 10 leagues, you're going to know the scoring settings and all the leagues by heart. You're going to know, probably your starting lineup in all the leagues by heart. But I think it helps so much just writing things down and just saying mm. this league, my team is not good enough. My goal is to not win until 2025, right? Like just yeah. be super diligent about things. And like, what I like to do is I like to look at my leagues and just say like, I need an RB2. My goal for the next two weeks is just to find an RB2 here, right? And like, I think you need something other than the app, but like, I, I write everything down, right? So it, yeah. it really just depends what type of, you know, learner and person you are. But yeah. if you're but, in like five plus leagues, like I, I think you need some type of organizational system. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of at the point where I think it's non-negotiable. Like I don't care if you are typically not an organized person. I think like to do yourself justice, I think you really do need to keep some records. Like you don't have to be totally copious about, like you don't have to write everything down, I guess. But right. I do think you should have at the very least, some kind of like spreadsheet where it keeps track of like, okay, what's the buy-in in this league? What are the scoring settings? Yep. Any kind of weird rules. 
Um, you know, when's the trade deadline? Um, exactly. And and, and, some- and, and and for me, I have it every week where I'm like, I have to, I have a spreadsheet that I check off each league when I set that lineup. Cause otherwise there's no way I'm going right. to know what I've, cause I, you know, if I go alphabetically and then I go to the bathroom and I get distracted and forget, then it's like, sure. shit, did I set this lineup or not? Right. Yeah. So there's a lot to consider. I mean, I like having, I, I have a spreadsheet set up with that stuff. It has different, different sheets with the, the, the financial side of it, like the league structure, um, I, I try to keep track of like my record and stuff. And then I like to have an area where I can put down some notes, just some quick, like I yeah. can see at a glance, like I have actually, I have tiers set up for my teams so that that kind of sorts them into like, what, what's the direction of this team. But I also have notes where it's like, yeah, looking for a QB two or like, you know, need to add a tight end or need to like, I have extra value at this position or something like whatever it might be just, as a quick reminder, so you don't have to recalibrate yourself every single time you exactly. click on one of those leagues, um, because you're just context switching constantly. Like when you go, you have all these leagues here, and, and, but it's not all the same thing. Cause you've got different owners, you've got a different roster construction. So you're basically, you go on your sleeper app. Every time you click on another league, you're, you're context switching. You're having to change the orientation of your mind to an entirely new set of variables. Um, so the, the more efficiently you can do that and like save your mind that, yeah. that work, like you're genuinely going to get decision fatigue if you don't use something, you know, to, uh, to simplify. Yeah. And I, and like you said about the tiers, I like that my diagnostics do a similar thing where I have, I have 15 different stages that, a that a team can be in. Uh, but they basically come into three tiers, right? Basically, are mm-hmm. you contending, not contending or somewhere in the middle? Um, and right. then it, it like breaks down a little bit more than that. But yeah, that's that's basically the the first thing I look at whenever I get a random trade offer is I say, okay, where is my team? Like what yeah. what stage of the process are we in? Yeah, exactly. And how, I mean, how much easier is that to just have that already in front of you than to actually see the trade and then say, wait, what league is this? Okay, let me go look at my roster. Uh, does this actually make sense? It's just so, it's so much easier. Right. It's like, let me look at my roster. Oh, I'm, I'm four and three, but where am I in points? Let me look at all the other teams. Like, yeah, it's just so much easier to just have like bathroom for 28 minutes, like checking this (laughs) great offer. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your, your leg fall asleep. Your wife wonders what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I definitely would advocate that for, like you said, anybody in like five or more leagues, really, you should have some kind of a yeah. Just pull up a Google sheet, you know, put it, put your stuff in there. It doesn't have to look pretty. It doesn't have to look like Mike's charts and diagrams and everything, but just something to take a little bit of the stress off of you and uh, sure. make you feel like you're, you're organized. Awesome. Well, this has been great. We really got into the, the portfolio stuff there. I wanted to touch on something very quickly because we've already gone quite long here, um, but I know you've done a startup, at least one startup this off season already, because I've seen you tweeting about it. Um, I haven't, I, I hit this state of like, just total, like unmotivation to do dynasty. Like I still like talking about it and doing content, but I just like, I can't get my thumbs to click on the buttons on the app. I don't know. I don't like, blame I, you. I, I yeah. haven't done a trade since the season ended. Like <laughs> exactly. I'm in a similar position. No yeah. trades, nothing like that. Like I'm just, I need a couple of weeks to decompress. So I haven't joined any startups, but I saw you talking about it. So I just wanted to kind of get a quick thought because there are people doing them people listen to the show that are doing them do you have it seems like first of all what i gleaned from your tweets that you're targeting some veteran players right now it seems like you're getting good prices on veterans um have you found that to be the case and why do you think that's that is going on 
Yeah, I mean, I think you can always get good prices on veterans uh, in startups. It, it's not the normal build that I that I go about. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is that, especially there's been some rookie wide receivers that have really popped in the second half of the season. And since football is still happening, we don't have the uh, we don't have the like hindsight to look back mm. at the season and say here's how good this player was over the course of the season. Here's what we can, no one's done projections for 2024 yet. Right. So people are just saying, Holy shit. Jaden Reed was awesome. Two weeks ago. Uh, I'm going to take him over Devontae Adams. All right. Jaden (laughs) Reed did zero yards last week. Like these things happen. So, Uh, so did Devontae Adams to be fair. That is fair. Um, (laughs) But uh, so there's some of that. I, I think, I think what a lot of it is, is about the uncertainty at the running back position. Um, so you had guys like Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Javante Williams, Isaiah Pacheco, all going in like the seventh or later rounds. Uh, Saquon went in the yeah. mid sixth, but it's because no one knows what's happening and no one wants to take old running backs. I actually think that there's a bit of a hole in the market right now at running back because this upcoming draft is so bad. You have to look at it a little bit about how we were talking about quarterback earlier, where it's like, Jalen Hurts is a top 20 quarterback in the league. He's going to have a job somewhere. That's how I – Saquon Barkley is going to have a job somewhere, right? Derrick Henry, I don't love him because he's too old, but he's going to have a job somewhere and he's going to get 250 carries next year. So it's like you kind of have to look at the overall state of the position. While I love investing in young wide receivers, but when you have – wide receivers going so so early right yeah. when you have brandon Ayuk and drake london going in the third round i'm just gonna take george pickens in the seventh round and i don't even like george pickens but again <laughs> like y- you just have to be like take yourself out of it a little bit and just look at like the state of the positions like i think quarterback yeah. right now you have 15 quarterbacks going in the top 20 picks and then basically none until like bryce young in the sixth like that's that's kind of like I would load up on quarterbacks early. I'm I'm still working through my startup strategy guide right now, but load up on quarterbacks early as usual. I think you need to get one of the superstar tight ends because there are like five superstar tight ends right now. And then I would just soak yeah. up running backs in like the seventh to tenth rounds. Yeah, I've heard multiple smart analysts talking about running backs being kind of a, a good investment right now, and it just makes so much sense. Like th- they're. In one sense, there there's an oversaturation of talent at the position because there's just a lot of good running backs. Yeah. But there's not a lot coming in. And so we kind of have a lot of information already about who those guys are. And if you just take shots on the position, I think overall it's going to be profitable because most of the running backs that are perceived as being kind of in flux aren't really going to be as in flux as we think it's like it's like you're playing musical chairs and there's 10 chairs but by the time the season starts they're only going to take like three of them away it's not like they're going to take it's not like there's going to be one chair left by september it's like most of these guys are going to have a spot to sit um so you don't need to be that afraid like maybe you get the landmine but again this comes back to portfolio you have a lot of teams you can take a lot of shots and maybe devin singletary is the one that gets nuked but you also have rashad white and you have isaiah pacheco and whatever Aaron Jones. Um, so I do think that that works out for you more often than it doesn't. And I like the point about the tight ends. I'm sorry if I, if I cut you no, off, no. Um, but before it was like, okay, I don't have Kelsey or Andrews, but like most of my league mates don't either. Now you could be looking at up to half your league has like a significant edge on you at tight end. If you, 
you know, you just have Cole Kmet uh, in your tight end spot. So, or, I mean, I, or I, I think you take all of the top four tight ends and then no one else has any of them. And then you have an advantage over everyone <laughs> at one position. And then at w- only one position, then you I mean, really, really need Devin Singletary to keep his job because you're, you're going to be starting him every week. Yeah. I mean, listen, I am not, I do not do old builds. I do not go all in. It's just not the way I've found you can make money playing fantasy yeah. in this draft in the 13, in the 12th round or later, we had Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, and Raheem. Did Mostert. you say twelfth round Austin Eckler? Austin Eckler went at the thirteen oh eight. That's ridiculous. Nick Chubb went at the thirteen oh four. So you could literally not take a running back, and then in the twelfth round, starting in the twelfth round, or sorry, I guess the eleventh, you could have taken Mixon, Chubb, Eckler, uh, Aaron Jones, Mostert, Jerome Ford. So you could have that running back room yeah. and not have spent any of your first 10 picks. Three or four of those guys are going to be going in like the fourth round and redraft this, this coming season. Like they're yeah. going to be, they're going to be like fourth, fifth re- redraft picks. Like that's just easy. Yeah. I mean, that's just easy money. Like, I think that's just I a mean, quick I- meta for somebody doing a startup, like take an early quarterback, take an early tight end, get some wide receivers in the middle rounds, smash running back. And it doesn't even matter what your build is. I took Nick Chubb in the 13th round. I'm not in a win now build, but I'm confident I can flip Nick Chubb for, I don't know who went in the, what random wide receiver went in the eighth round here. Josh Downs. I could probably flip Nick Chubb for Josh Downs as soon as Nick Chubb gets healthy. Yeah. Gain five about, rounds of value. Yeah. When you're this early in the offseason, you really can start to kind of think through like, what are the storylines going to look like? You know, injured players, especially, you know, they're going to be ahead of schedule at some point. They're going to have a clip where they're doing something cool. Injured players right now, you're you're basically just printing value. Um, and a lot of these guys are, are going to gain value over the offseason when people start to think about actual point scoring, people look back over the season, and when just a lot of guys don't lose their jobs to free agents or to rookies or whatever. So that is something to keep in mind if you're doing a startup right now. And, and really try to look doing, ahead. It's useful doing these startups where the draft picks are in them as well, which, which this one it, it is. So the, you draft kickers as placeholders for the rookie yeah. slots. Like you had, you know, Chubb and Eckler and Aaron Jones and Darren Waller going after the three Oh one. Like that's, that's just not what their price is. And it's certainly not what their price is going to be. Exactly. The, the people go crazy for the rookie picks. And by the way, can we get, can we just get sleeper to add rookie picks as like a draftable thing? Like is, is Zoltan fantasy platform going to have that? Hell yeah, it is. Okay. It's actually going to be only rookie picks. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know anything about coding really, but I just don't know how hard it would be to just add an asset that is a rookie pick. And then at the end of the draft, just have it go in order. And like, it knows, okay, the first one that comes up, that's one Oh one. The second one that comes up, that's one. Like, I don't, why is that hard? Like, I don't get why they can't add that. I mean, sleeper doesn't keep the same pin year after year. Like I, (laughs) I, I sleeper is the best app currently to do what we need them to do. They are far from perfect. Um, which is again, why I'm, why I'm looking into some of this stuff because yeah, there are, there's, this is low hanging fruit. Like you met, I, I, I'm not a perfect coder. I could probably code that in a day. Like it's just not that much work. Uh, so I, I don't really get it to be honest. Yeah. Well, if you're listening to the show, go at sleeper on Twitter 
and ask them to add draftable rookie picks. Maybe we can get this thing solved by March. They you know? they have added about I, like three or four suggestions I've made for them. They've they've added. Um, I've gotten people on Twitter to push them, and it's it's worked. So yeah, for real, like they they do listen, which I appreciate. That is the agenda for this offseason. That's the yep. thing we want. All right, no more kickers. I don't need to. I don't need to draft kickers anymore. No. Um, but all right, I appreciate those insights. For those of you guys doing startups. I'm going to give myself a few more weeks, but if you're doing one now or soon, keep that in mind, you know, look out for the the value and don't worry too much about the build of your team because we're so far out. Just look for places you can pick up value where you see pockets, you know, of inefficiency at different positions. And yeah, I mean, this is a, a great kind of introduction to, to playing portfolio. Dynasty. I, I, I like what you said there, by the way, just real quick, like don't mm -hmm. look at your build build is like you want, you want to be able to take value, make sure the players that you're taking are still going to have value in September, but don't worry about build. Like I, I did not look at my roster once during this draft. I just took the best available player. There you go. Sounds weird, but it, it does, does work. You can make yeah. those moves later on. Um, and a lot and of I only ended changed. up with five tight ends. So clearly it it worked out <laughs> only five. Those were your first five picks. I assume. Yeah, no, yeah. I actually, uh, I didn't, I, I only have four actually. And my fourth one was 14th round Darren Waller. So that's fine. There you go. Yeah. Another probably good value there. Um, awesome. Well, this has been great. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your uh, expertise about portfolio management. Tell the people a little bit, I, we've obviously talked about it throughout the show, but just you've got a big new project here. So just give people the rundown one more time. Yeah, for sure. So thanks for having me and, and for letting me talk a little bit about my stuff. Um, DynastySoltan.com. So I've I've had a Patreon for the last uh, last few years, but I've shifted everything over to DynastySoltan.com. Get access to my rankings there. You know, positional and startup rankings. I got my rookie strategy guide, my startup strategy guide. I do really detailed film breakdowns on all the prospects. Uh, just released uh, Braylon Allen and Roma Dunze. Uh, about an hour breaking down each of those guys. And uh, Blake Corum is coming up uh, in the next few days. Uh, as a Michigan fan, I had to had to go back to watch Quorum. So get access to that. Dynasty Diagnostics, we've talked about quite a bit already. So just check out DynastySolton.com. It went live today. So uh, if uh, if there's any tech issues, uh, just DM uh, Paul Patterson, FF, and uh, he'll, he'll <laughs> handle them for you. Obviously, yes, I am running the tech support. Um, I did check out the website. It looks great. Tons of stuff on there to explore. I was kind of just blown away by all of the different pages and things that are on there. I saw... I saw my name as uh, featured as obviously the most famous guest you've ever of had course. on your podcast. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, you guys should definitely check it out. You can follow Mike on Twitter as well at dynasties, Ultron FF, and you can follow me at Paul Patterson FF. Obviously that's where I'll take care of any of your, uh, your tech support issues with the website, <laughs> anything like that. And I also do occasionally tweet about football. It's mostly just ranting about the Eagles lately, but that's over. So don't worry. We'll go back to our regularly scheduled programming. Keep an eye out for future shows. Should be back next week and the week after that, every week uh, for the rest of the offseason and in perpetuity forever. So pure potential. Um, I'll never take a sick day. I'll never, you know, never take a week off or anything like that. No, but I do have the next few guests lined up. I'm excited to kind of share the lineup uh, with, with everybody soon. Um, it should be a good time. This has been episode two of Pure Potential, and I will see you guys next week. <laughs>